Amen. Glory be to our great God. We're going to open our Bibles to uh, Romans this morning, uh, chapter 1. But uh, before we go there, I just wanted to remind you of a couple things. Uh, one of uh, a potluck meal following worship service today. I uh, wanted to encourage you to, to uh, head downstairs after worship and, and just uh, enjoy the fellowship that God's given us. Um, also want to uh, remind you of the Easter uh, services, the, the schedule of things is um, in the bulletin there, uh, one of which uh, following the Good Friday service, uh, which will be on Friday. Um, following that service, we'll kick off uh, 24 hours of prayer for our church body. Um, and and uh, there's a sign-up over on the table right there near the library. Um, and uh, just know, uh, any of you are welcome to come and go at any time and multiple times, if you like, uh, during, during that 24-hour period. Uh, but what we would like to do with the sign-up sheet is just make sure that we've, somebody's going to be there throughout the duration uh, of, our, of our prayer vigil. Um, just just praying and and we'll uh, have some information there to kind of help you think through how how to um, uh, be communicating with the Lord during that time and maybe things to bring before him and ways to worship him during that time so um, to kind of help you along uh, each block will be an hour um, again you're welcome to come and go as you like but we would like uh, some folks to commit to being there for for that full for a full hour time so that we as a church body can know that we've got somebody there um, interceding during that time. So, and then the last thing I want to mention to you is um, uh, Jim Whipple's baptism today. Uh, Liz, Liz is here, and I know she's been making preparations, and uh, they're very excited to, to have us out as uh, their uh, family of God. Uh, to to have them out uh, us out to their place is for Jim's baptism this afternoon at two o'clock. Um, so I hope that uh, you will will make time to join in that uh, very special day for them. And we just want to uh, praise God um, for who He is and what He does to to save us and to work in our lives to really uh, change us and mold us into the image of His Son. And, um, and we want to celebrate that along with them and, and just the powerful work that God has done in their family and which uh, uh, Jim is a testimony of. And so I um, want to encourage you to join with us in that. I believe there's an uh, address there, and if you have questions, you can ask Liz if, if you have trouble um, knowing where that's at. So let's, uh, let's just ask the Lord to direct our steps here. And Father, as we... As we go to your word this morning, we want to thank you for your mercy and your grace that you've showered upon each, each one of us who have believed in you. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, and Lord, as we um, prepare for Resurrection Day, uh, Lord, it uh, comes with a week that uh, has much sorrow in it. Um, Lord, as you went to the cross for us. But Lord, such a glorious end. And we, we thank you for that. That we look to the cross not despairingly, not without hope, not as if the, the uh, 
last chapter was written, um, Lord, but, uh, but we look past the cross even to the resurrection that ensures that what you did on the cross, Lord, is a, a permanent salvation for us who believe in you and eternal life. And Lord, we turn to your word now and ask that you would reveal more of yourself to us, give us your wisdom and understanding, and by your spirit lead us into all truth that we would be the people of God that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we think about today being Palm Sunday and um, uh, at the beginning of the service there, I read what we typically call and what, the, what your Bible probably even has headlined, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And uh, it was his intent always throughout his, his ministry to, uh, to go to Jerusalem. And it wasn't uh, a sightseeing mission for him. It was a mission of salvation. Uh, he had his sights set on Jerusalem because that is the place where he would give his life a ransom for many. And so as Jesus entered into Jerusalem that day and the crowds gathered around and, and uh, shouted, Hosanna, um, as uh, Earl mentioned there as he prayed, that it would not be long before they were also joining in together to cry out for his crucifixion. One wonders uh, what that week was like for the disciples. Uh, surely a glorious day for them as they all entered and, and everybody's shouting praise uh, in Jesus' direction. And the disciples are probably thinking they, they hitched their uh, wagon to the right horse on this one. And um, certainly things were looking pretty promising for them. But as the week went on and Jesus talked more about his death and uh, how he would be persecuted and give his life, and then uh, came the time where he actually gave himself a sacrifice on the cross, one wonders what kind of things were going on in their minds. In Mark chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus talking to his disciples says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. It's a good warning for us to take note of, but also to, uh, to find that we have a gracious Savior as well. If we uh, look at Matthew, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Verse 69 is where we'll pick it up. As Jesus is being uh, tried and, and uh, preparing to be crucified, uh, they're preparing to crucify Him, the disciples have scattered and realized that it's not in their best interest uh, if they're interested in saving their own skins to, uh, to be uh, in full sight there and to be known to be a disciple of Jesus. And so it says, And now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, 
you also were with Jesus the Galilean. He denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth, and again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. It would seem that while they rolled into town at the beginning of that week, seemingly triumphant, Jesus entering as a king, that as the week rolled on, the disciples saw that that wasn't going to be how the week concluded, or so they thought. And here Peter finds himself wondering, um, certainly a lot of doubts in his mind, and it even seems that at this point, Peter was a bit ashamed to be called a disciple of Jesus. Certainly scared, the disciples were, and at least a couple of them were actually ashamed to, to belong to him. Peter even denying him three times. But it gives us hope because we know that Peter goes on to be one of the people that most loudly proclaims the gospel that saves us from our sin and um, champions the Lord over and over even to his death. I want to ask this question. Have you ever been ashamed of Jesus? Now I know this is not a, we're gathered here in church, and so uh, it's not popular to say yes, but um, I don't want to sound arrogant at all, but I would be pretty confident to say that if you say no, you've never been ashamed of Jesus, you're probably lying. That there have been times in our life where we've been shy to speak his name, where we've been shy to, um, as Susie said, to ask, do you believe in Jesus? Where we've uh, kind of removed ourselves from conversations where the name of Christ comes up, or, um, or just, uh, just where, where as the Lord is, is uh, prompting us that we've denied Him and chosen to uh, not enter into controversial territory. You know, let's not talk about Jesus or politics as if Jesus is on par with those other things. Well, I've been guilty of it, and I would imagine that we all have, and maybe multiple times throughout our lives. You know, the Apostle Paul, I think this is where we can really gain some encouragement from him. In Romans chapter 1, he writes to the Roman church there, the believers, and The Roman believers have been through uh, quite a lot and are about to undergo even some more. Um, In fact, when the Gospel came to Rome, it caused quite a stir. And um, it caused such a stir that the Emperor Claudius, um, he made the connection that, that Jesus was Jewish and there were 
Jewish people bringing this story about Jesus and it was getting people in an uproar and, and causing a lot of stir. And so he just banished Jews from the city. And uh, after his reign was over, then he, um, Jews were allowed to enter back into the city. But the, the, the environment had already been sort of established that um, to be a follower of Christ was to be a fool. Um, and that, um, that there was a, a kind of a cloud of suspicion and animosity that um, accompanied being a Christian and belonging to Jesus and the message of the cross. And that uh, persecution continued to grow, and you might know of a guy named Nero, um, whom history uh, shines a pretty ugly light on, and uh, his persecution of believers, his hatred for the gospel and for Christ. And um, the Apostle Paul writes to these believers who would perhaps be going through persecution of their own and, and often perhaps even feel tempted that uh, following Jesus um, might be something to be ashamed of. That here I am saying that He's the living God who saves us and here I am suffering for His name. That, that those two things didn't seem perhaps to compute. That why am I suffering if He's the living God? Why am I suffering if He's the Savior? Here I'm trying to proclaim a message that Jesus saves and, and here the, the, there's kind of a comfortable population in Rome seeing me suffer for His name. How, how do we convince them that, that we're on the right side of this thing? Well, the Apostle Paul leaves some encouragement with the believers there and it shows something about the Apostle Paul that we don't hear him talk much about here. But he says in chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Why would the Apostle Paul say that? Well, partly because obviously the Roman believers needed to hear that, to have that encouragement, but also it shows us something about Paul. Paul's been tempted to be ashamed of Christ. That it would be on Paul's mind to make a proclamation that I am not ashamed. There is ever, the, the enemy is ever um, working in this world to belittle the name of Christ and anyone uh, who would believe in him. To say that you're a fool, to say that you're unintelligent, um, to mock you. But the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Christians were looked down on for their message of Christ. It seemed like foolishness to unbelievers. And Paul here quotes Habakkuk. Probably, you probably can turn right there, can't you? To Habakkuk. Well, go for it. Turn to Habakkuk. I happen to have it bookmarked, so I'm cheating a little bit, but towards the end of the Old Testament there. 
Paul quotes Habakkuk when he says the righteous uh, shall live by faith. Actually, he quotes God as God speaks to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is uh, actually just a very, I think probably even now for our times that we're living in, Habakkuk is, is, uh, has some great encouragement for us. Because Habakkuk lived in a time where there was a lot of wickedness uh, among what w- should be the people of God. Among Israel, there was great wickedness happening. And Habakkuk looked upon that and said, God, why do you allow this to go on? Well, God shared with Habakkuk that he was not silent on the matter, that he indeed was going to um, do something about it. But uh, Habakkuk wasn't really excited about God's plan for how he was going to deal with this. So Habakkuk says, God, why are you you allowing such wickedness to go on here? And God says, look, I'm not silent on the matter. I'm actually going to do something that's going to astound you. Uh, I'm going to bring in a more wicked people, a more wicked nation to punish Israel for their wickedness. Habakkuk's head's kind of spinning like, what, God? That doesn't sound just at all. So you're going to bring a more wicked people to bring punishment on a wicked but less wicked people. And you can imagine, as Habakkuk thought this through, he was feeling a little bit uh, frustrated and voiced that to the Lord. But God had something to share with Habakkuk, in the midst of Habakkuk's um, objections and frustrations, and look at me, or look at, not at me, look at Habakkuk with me, chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord responds uh, to Habakkuk. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. What God said to Habakkuk is, I've got a plan that I'm working out to bring Israel to a place of repentance before me. But if it seems like it's going too slow or it seems like it's not happening, don't be fooled by that. Be patient. Wait for it. God's plan happens in His time. It unfolds in His way for His purpose. And what our eyes see don't always reflect the reality. Well, never really reflect the full reality of what God is doing in the world. And so we have a very limited understanding when it comes to interpreting what God is doing. And so the Lord reminds Habakkuk that he ought to live, verse 4, to live by faith. Not by sight, not by his own reason and understanding, but by faith. Habakkuk, even though it seems like things are are going sideways and that I'm doing nothing about it, even though it looks like there's 
that I should be stepping in and coming into the rescue and you, you're waiting for that to happen and it doesn't seem like I'm, I'm doing anything, wait for it. Be patient. I'm working it out. And you're going to be astounded when you, have the, when, you, when you get to look in hindsight at what I've done, you're going to be astounded at how I move. Be patient. And live by faith. Faith in the God who has proven His faithfulness over and over and over and over and over and over throughout generation after generation. That God has never failed in His faithfulness. So place your faith in that. Rather, in your own ability to understand the situation and interpret it rightly, which we know we fail miserably often at that. We can't even text each other without miscommunication and misinterpretation and getting offended because somebody accidentally used all caps or something or the wrong whatever. Yeah, yeah, lots of love. So, God is faithful always. And we are to look to Him as He says, the righteous shall live by faith. So as Paul writes to the Romans, he says it looks like you're in a time where the world is turning against you. It looks like you're living in a day where maybe it seems the Lord is slow to step in for His people. The Lord is slow to keep His promises. Or where those who, who believe in Him are going to suffer unjustly. And where is God in that? And Paul references Habakkuk, which is to say, wait for it. Be patient. God is working His plan out in His time. So live by faith, not by sight. Well, Habakkuk, it's it's really such a cool thing, and this is a part of Habakkuk actually that, that we will often quote, although we don't often think about the context of it. The very end of Habakkuk um, is Habakkuk's response to what God has told him is going to happen. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. We see Habakkuk's resolve to live by faith. So he says, even when I, even when I see destruction coming upon me, upon my people, even when I see my home laid in waste or, or whatever may happen, whatever my eyes take in, the one thing I am resolved to do is to continue to live by faith in my Lord. And this is the encouragement that Paul leaves with the Roman believers. Because they're about to undergo over the next several years undergo some very intense persecution where many of them will be put to death for their faith in Christ. Well, Paul gives a couple of reasons why 
they should not be ashamed of the gospel here. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Why not be ashamed of the gospel? Why not be ashamed of the gospel and live by faith? Paul's reason, if it is the power of God for salvation. Not that the gospel message is, power, is a powerful one, but that the gospel message is the very power of God working in this world. Consider that. These aren't just powerful words. This isn't just a powerful message. This is the power of God being applied in the world of darkness and sin and hopelessness. The Gospel message is the power of God at work to save and transform evil hearts and evil minds. Something no human understanding, wisdom, or religion can do. Only the power of God can do that. And he says in verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The gospel message is the revelation of God's righteousness being imparted to sinners. That is that sinners receive His mercy and His grace and and something that we do not deserve. That is, to have the righteousness of God imparted to us that when we stand before Him as judge, and and he, He takes... And, and this will happen to every single person who has ever been born, that we stand before God after we die, we part from this earth, we stand before God, and we will give an account. An account for our sin record before Him. And anyone who has sinned will not be allowed into His kingdom, save those who have been covered with the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And Paul says the gospel message, I'm not ashamed of it. And, and, and Paul doesn't cite earthly reasons for why he's not ashamed because the earthly reasons say you should be ashamed if you're a follower of Jesus. You're a, you're a fool. But the heavenly reasons, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this message for it's the power of God to save us. It's the power of God to transform us. It's the power of God to make sinners righteous in the eyes of our judge and creator. The gospel is no ordinary message. Consider that what mankind may here find as foolishness, they may think believers weak to need a Savior. They may think us pitiful for suffering or choosing to suffer for the name of Christ. But they don't know what we've come to know. At least not yet. And that is that trusting in Jesus Christ transforms your life. Think about it. I mean... We have the stories sitting right before us. Your story points to this. Uh, later, 
as we gather for Jim's baptism, his story points to this. We've seen it. We've experienced it as believers in Jesus Christ. He takes the broken and He mends them. He takes the sorrowful and fills them with joy. He takes the lonely and gives them a family. He takes the self-loathing and gives them peace. He takes the despairing and fills them with hope. He takes the weak and makes them strong. He takes fools and makes them wise. He takes the lost and enslaved in sin and forgives them and sets them free. That's the power of God at work in this world. There's nothing to be ashamed of in that. What the world finds foolish and shameful simply because they have not come to understand it like we have. The power of God at work in our lives. The power of God to give us hope. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's just a next door neighbors there with Romans. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. This is the Apostle Paul again. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Catch that. Think about what Paul said uh, in Romans 1. That it's the power of God for salvation. And here he says, he came to preach the gospel. That's what he's been called to do. But not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul found that there is power in the Gospel message as presented in truth. That there's nothing that you or I can add to it in our eloquence or in our manner of speaking that adds power to the Gospel message. Gospel is the very power of God and our words often just get in the way when we try to juice it up. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than than men we preach the cross of christ we preach christ crucified and raised again to life because this is the power of god i'm a i'm a sinner you didn't know that did you (laughs) i'm a sinner we each sitting here collectively are a big group of sinners we've grown up learning how to sin in a in a broken and evil world Our heart is prone to it. What we deserve, as Romans lays out for us, is the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is to be punished 
for that severely because we've offended and violated and rebelled against our Creator who, who loves us, who is perfect in all His ways, and we've hated Him in our hearts. And yet He gave His Son, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates His love for us in this. While you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. Consider the love of God. That He would send His Son while we're still sinners, while we're still hating Him in our hearts, while we're still rebelling against Him, He sends His Son to die for us. To rescue us out of sin. Do not ever be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Do not ever be ashamed of what He's done for you on the cross. Do not ever be ashamed to say, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Can you imagine, just to put it in a a little different relational context, how would it go between you and your spouse if you were ashamed to say that you were married to them? That'd probably create some friction, wouldn't it? We would think that that was just uh, horrible. Right? If, if I was embarrassed to admit that I'm married to Jenny, you, you would think me a slime ball. And I, I deserve it. She's a wonderful woman. And so if I were to go around being afraid to admit that I'm married to her, what would that, say? that would say a lot about me, wouldn't it? Do you realize that as much as she loves me, and as much as she has done for me, Jesus Christ has done even far more. How could we ever be ashamed to say that we belong to Him? We live in troubled times. And the world needs the power of God at work. And the power of God is what we've been entrusted with the gospel message. He brings peace where there's strife and conflict. He brings joy into suffering. And He brings love into hate. I want to ask you today, I don't know if maybe you've been a little bit shy to even come to Jesus in the first place. Maybe you've even thought, maybe I I would really just be kind of a desperate act on my part. Well, you're right. It is. It's a desperate act to deal with sin when there's no other way to deal with it. Jesus says that there's only one way to deal with it, and that's through Him. He's laid down His life for you. And He invites you now to declare yourself a fool for the sake of Christ, that is, to accept the, the gift that He's offered to you, salvation of, from sin, entrance into His family by believing in Him. And believers, I want to ask you a question today, um, as I'll ask Jim later. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that only through Him your sins will be forgiven and you can enter into His kingdom. Do you believe that? 
If you are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe that it is the power of God to save you and everyone around you, stand up. Church, it's really safe to do that in here. It's really safe to stand up in here and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. And like Peter say, Lord, no matter where you go, I'll go even to my death. Well, there's a world that's going to challenge that. It's going to challenge whether or not you really believe that. But I want to remind you that you have a Savior who will never leave you nor forsake you. He has promised Himself to you that His Spirit would be with you always. You are never lost to Him. You are encapsulated between the Son's hand and the Father's hand. You are secure in Him. So walk in confidence with Him. And do not be ashamed, but proudly, as Paul would say, boast in your weakness that you could never enter the kingdom of God save through Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and extend that invitation to others that they should enter with you. Because it is the only hope that this world has is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for for sending Your Son to take our place on the cross. Lord, as we stand here together, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, thankful for the hope that You have given us and thankful for the forgiveness of our sins, that You have taken them away, that You have wiped us clean, that You have given us the righteousness of our Savior Jesus Christ to wear into Your heaven. Lord, we ask that You would help us to be bold. Help us to be uh, believers who walk by faith in our Lord Jesus, who proclaim His name with confidence and with boldness, with a certainty the Lord, this is, this is the message that is the power of God that has transformed our lives, that is transforming our lives, and that will transform others as well when they place their faith in You. Lord, there, there are people created in Your image right now who are walking a path to hell. And God, You have entrusted us with the power of the power to bring them to You. That they would be saved. Lord, make us bold servants for You. Bold ambassadors for the Kingdom of God. And let us be like Paul that even in the, the difficult places that we will say, I am not ashamed of the Gospel for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And it's in our Savior's name we pray. Amen. All right, after what Paul says in Romans there, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, he goes on to say that God has revealed Himself to all of humanity. And as we encounter all of people's philosophies and ideas and all of that, um, 
just know it's, it's easy to point fingers and, and kind of go, well, you, you know, you're just against God. Well, you know what? Those are folks that are without Christ trying to figure out a world that was created by him and for him and holds together and is, uh, it's all wrapped up in him. And they're trying to explain it without him. And they're never going to get it right. But God has entrusted to us the very message that brings it all together for them. The power of God. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so church, never be ashamed of that. He's given you the light to shine in that dark place and it's exactly what needs to be shined right now. So shine it brightly and proudly for He's your Savior and to everyone who comes to Him as well. Lord bless you and keep you. I want to just again remind you uh, the fellowship downstairs over a meal here at following worship and also to invite you again uh, to Jim's baptism. So um, Lord bless you and keep you. Walk proudly as the church, not in yourself, but in Christ your Lord.